So as I said, we don't normally um, launch off dreams, but this felt really kind of significant. And uh, if you know um, the, the last kind of few months, several months uh, in dealing, um, because we're transitioning into a new, uh, obviously in the physical to a new property, but uh, also uh, what we sense spiritually um, moving into a new season, a new land. Um, and, uh, and there are things called territorial spirits. Um, and, uh, and one of them that we find in the Bible is the spirit of Leviathan, which is essentially probably most, uh, sh- the shortest explanation would be the spirit of pride. Uh, and so these territorial spirits rise up and they stir up that, if there's any root of that in people, uh, to cause people then to not enter and cross over that threshold into the promises that God has for them. So uh, we are very thankful that the Lord warns us of things. Um, and, and this is kind of one of those uh, dreams, like I really feel the warning sense on it. Uh, and so to bring it to you, like as a, um, not as a, oh, this might be a nice idea, um, but as a, as a real kind of warning word. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, um, if, you're, if you're new or visiting, um, we love that you're here. Sorry if, if even that time was just kind of weird or different or you have perspectives or opinions on things. Uh, one thing I was thinking during the week is that we really care for people, um, but we don't cater for people. Uh, we're not a catering company. Um, uh, you know, we, we love and I feel like we've got a track rec- record of loving deeply and, and I genuinely love people and I love you. But uh, just to know that if there's things that are like you feel like a, a bit um, confronting for you, um, I would just love, you know, I, I'm okay with people getting offended with me or with, with us or the way we do things. I just love to have the conversation. So if you're like, that's it, done with this place, I'm leaving, never coming back again, uh, I'll say, God bless you, but come and have a conversation and, uh, and just tell us, um, you know, what your thoughts are because it might be that, um, that there's some insight that you've missed or some language that you haven't comprehended or whatever. I just, but again... Um, and this is something as well where I really feel like um, the warning of the Lord on this is something that if we don't pay attention, it's kind of one of those things that'll it'll take you out in the promotion. Um, and so it's it's kind of like better if we just either scrap this whole thing, or or if you're like actually I don't want to deal with that, um, it, you're better off then to not um, transition along. Otherwise, it's it's kind of a thing it'll it'll take you out. And I I don't say that lightly or or to put anything on you but it's it's just serious so um last week uh, i had a, a, a one dream one night and uh, where i was in uh, um, at jennifer evaz's church and uh, and i went into this deep kind of intercession travail kind of time that was kind of crazy the next night then i have a dream and i'm um at like a like a country club kind of place and uh, there's a kind of victorian style veranda and then down a little slope there's a there's a pond and, uh, and it's the significance of the fact that it was a pond, because I, uh, Lisa and I, and, and we all kind of have been sending dreams to Jennifer and Jennifer Evas and getting her thoughts on different things. And I was writing down, because I told her about the travail dream, the next day I wrote down the dream and I'd wrote, oh, and there was a lake and blah, blah, blah. And I went on and told her some things. And I went back and actually changed it. I was like, no, no, it was a pond. It wasn't a lake. It was literally, you know, here to the wall kind of circle. And, um, and I was there, then there was a rock um, on the edge, half in the water, half out of the water. And I was standing on top. Uh, and in the pond, there was a shark. So it was like a fully grown shark, but in miniature. 
if that makes sense. So uh, like a, you know, like a great white or something, but it was kind of small and it was in the edge of the water and it was trying to attack me. Uh, and then that shark turned into a crocodile um, and, then, and then that crocodile was trying to attack me and, and I didn't really, I wasn't really concerned about it. Uh, and then ended up somehow, it, uh, whether I killed it, but it ended up dead on its back on the side of the, um, of the pond. Uh, and then I had, it pops into my head that I knew that standing behind me was Kathy Bates. And, uh, yeah, yes. Does anyone know who Kathy Bates is? Yes, she's an actress, yes. So, um, yeah, what, what's her m one of her famous movies? Anyone know? Yes. Misery. So, um, again, I don't know how or why um, I ended up watching it was just kind of one of those movies from 1990, a movie called Misery that Kathy Bates was in. And, but I knew, I knew that's where I, the only movie I know her from is from that movie. And I knew Kathy Bates. And it's an interesting thing, uh, like a, uh, straight away you go and you look up names. Is up her name means pure Catherine, means uh, pure purity. But, um, but I knew there was something significant. It's Kathy Bates and this movie uh, Misery. Uh, so uh, sat on it, shared it with Jen, she had some different ideas, uh, even potentially about the idea of this pond being an ecosystem, all this sort of stuff. And then uh, it was a couple of nights later, um, obviously Rachel had shared a dream that she had with Amy, and then she had um, posted some of it on the intercessor page, and, and, but Amy's like, Brad, you need to tell Rachel your dream. So then Rachel has a dream. And you found out at a couple of nights later, so I might have even been on the same night that we had the dream. Um, it's very blurry. Anyone here finding they're waking up and their dreams disappear like this? So we need to be praying over that. It's not okay. So I woke up from the dream, but trying to remember it, the beginning feels very, very patchy. But it's also patchy because it was like I'm trying to figure out it, even in my dream. And in my dream, I was standing at the bottom of a place that felt like a resort, and I knew that people were around me. And I looked out, and there was grass, and it sloped down to what was, I think, a pond or a lake. I couldn't quite tell, but it was small, like a pond. Does this sound familiar? There was like, I knew there was a rock and I was trying to see because there was an animal in the water and I even remember thinking it's like a shark or a crocodile, I can't tell. How weird is that? But in my dream, um, I remember turning away and then coming, looking back and I saw it a second before it happened and I was like, oh no, and it turned into what feels like a horror movie um, because it was like it leaped out and it bit the throat of another beast at, and it pulled it out. It was really gory. And I remember feeling that gory feeling you feel like in a horror movie. Not that I watch them, but it's like the reason why I don't watch them. You know what I mean? It was just, oh, and I was like, and I remember yelling and then the whole thing shifted. And I was standing by a swimming pool and we were all doing training, swimming length training. And my dad, whose name is Rodney, which means fame, because most things are metaphorical. So his name means fame. Uh, so being seen in the light. Yeah. So he's training people in the pool how to swim, except for there's a crocodile at the very base of the pool. So I went up to him and I said, Dad, why, why is the crocodile in the pool? And I felt such concern. And he said, oh, don't worry. No, no, we found a way to appease it. We, we feed it. And I said, well, what? And he brought out like this tray, like a Pyrex dish that looked like lasagna, about the size, almost the size of this. It was huge. And I was like, seriously? And it's, it's like lasagna looking. And I looked into the food and it swirled and I saw the face of a woman, a white woman with dark hair to a bob, who I didn't really recognize. But apparently when you Google Kathy Bates, for the movie Misery, the only movie where she has her hair and her bob and it's dark. Every other movie, she's blonde and short-haired or something different. So that was just funny, but otherwise I didn't recognize her. But I saw it and, and I, felt, uh, I felt I heard, that's the crocodile. So we already know the crocodile can 
Leviathan, but I just felt like misery loves company. So, um, so some of the dream language in that, obviously a shark um, is often can represent, uh, and when I say all of this stuff, dream language, dream interpretation, it is, uh, you, you don't take it like it's, it's Bible, this must be it. Um, but this is kind of one of those scenarios where there's enough that's come up that we're like, okay, we need to pay attention, particularly when two people are in the same dream at the same time and don't know it, like that's significant enough for me. And also to point out, I never dream. So I just never have dreams, and then I, three nights in a row I have dreams. Uh, and even to the point where I, um, w- when we were chatting with Jennifer Evaz, and, and I was like, I, f- I woke up in the morning. Ah, this is a question. Have I appeared in anyone's dreams this week? Yours? Anyone else? Amy's? Anyone else? Yep. Doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be weird, or even if it is weird, it's not always weird. That's what I found out. I had a weird dream. And I shared it, and um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not gonna. Actually, it's like no. <laughs> it was, it was, it was kind of. Uh, it was a dream that I thought, like, oh, that must be an attack, but it, but it wasn't, and it was significant in the imagery. But I had to go through the awkwardness of sharing it um, with some people. But um, but I, so I woke up again uh, a couple of nights later, feeling like um, I'm really tired, and I just knew I feel like I've been in people's dreams tonight which is just weird. I know it's weird, but that's what has been awakened even since Jennifer's been here and it's coming up. So anyway, so the, the shark imagery often means like impending doom, impending danger. So it's a warning signal. Uh, the crocodile obviously represents Leviathan um, or the spirit of pride. Um, Jennifer talked about the pond being an ecosystem. And so part of what we wanted to share is if there's an ecosystem that allows that to exist, then we also need to deal with the ecosystem um, that, uh, that allows kind of pride to, to be. You know, I, I said, Jennifer, I said, I don't feel like we've got a community filled with prideful people. Like, I don't feel like it's a really a marker of it. But there can be some things that masquerade as one thing, but actually underneath is pride. I mean, you'll find that um, insecurity often manifests as pride. Uh, it's it's the outward uh, appearance to keep the inward safe because we don't, you know. So um, it's not just like that someone's walking around with their chest kind of puffed out, I'm so proud, but it actually can look like the opposite, but it's still rooted in the same thing. Um, obviously, again, uh, the word, uh, so Rod's name, Rodney meaning fame. So there's something in it that um, fame can feed this spirit. And we're, we're right in this process um, of God transitioning us over, but it's into a new season as a church community. And, uh, and from everything that, you know, that Jennifer's been sharing with us, it's like she's, her, her language is like, this is big. Like she sees in the spirit as a, as a prophetic intercession, she's like, this is big. Like what you guys have here is big. Like she literally brings people with her to, to our church just to be impacted by what God is doing in this place. And I don't talk in any way like, oh, well, aren't we fantastic? It's just she's, she's seen the treasure that we've stewarded and, uh, and there's something significant. But her thing is like, this is going to blow up and be big. And she's concerned for us that if we don't journey through and uproot anything that would diminish it, that it can, the very promotion of God can be the destruction of people. So don't think that, oh, more of God's glory is just always going to be good for you. Only if you're prepared to carry the weight of His glory. You have to be prepared. So that means that internally that we are dealing with anything that doesn't belong because the glory devours. The glory burns stuff up. And if you're half made of wood, then you're going to catch on fire. 
So fame can feed pride and ultimately devour people. As I said before, Kathy Bates and misery. Rachel shared she woke up the other morning with misery loves company. And there is something that we feel like, and it came up even a few weeks ago, this whole thing of self-pity, you know, that kind of self-misery, uh, which is, again, uh, it it's, can be a manifestation of pride, like a sense of, well, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be in the place that I am. Now, there are things in your life that you don't deserve. There are things that will be done to you or have been done to you that you didn't deserve to be treated that way. But the majority of what we deal with as adults, as we journey with our hearts and get healing in those ways, and the things that God will call us to be responsible for when it comes to us, is all things that we are responsible for. So it's our judgments, it's our unforgiveness, it's our bitterness, it's our offense, it's our sinful responses to life, that that's what God calls us to be responsible for. He He won't call you to be responsible for somebody else's sin, but He will call you to be responsible for yours. And sometimes we can find ourselves like, woe is me, oh, I'm just back in this place again and nothing's working out. And yet you have a responsibility that you're not taking up in that process. And stepping into that place, and ultimately it can look like, you know, misery, but it's, it's rooted in pride. When I was thinking of this, this phrase, you know, woe is me, and we just find ourselves just kind of wallowing in the pit. Anyone been in that place recently? Yeah? Like, well, it depends on what you're going to say about it, Brad. How about you tell me what you're going to say, and then I'll answer whether I've been in that place or not. <laughs> Anyone, come on, be honest. Like, just a bit of a bit of a wallow kind of mud time we even prayed into it the other morning and i, I was uh, felt like that uh the prodigal son story you know where the son and he squanders the inheritance of god which is what we do when we step out and we take our eyes off heaven and we put our eyes on our circumstance and we get caught up in all of that we we take our inheritance and we squander it we take the promises of god and we step into believing other things about who the father is and what he has for us we squander the promises of god And we find ourselves then in the pigsty, in the mud, wallowing around with the pigs. But the thing is, the father didn't find the son in the pigsty. The son found himself there, came to his senses and went back home. So there is always responsibility on our behalf. And again, I know we've got this grace teaching that says grace covers you and all of that sort of stuff. That's not, as I've said a million times, the mercy of God covers you, the grace of God empowers you. So the mercy of God did not bring judgment from the father against the prodigal son. Mercy allowed him to come back in, but grace was the son getting up out of the mud and coming home. But again, empowered because he knows what the father's like. It's the empowering presence of God to move us out of that place. And again, I think there's just too much, there's too much passivity in Christianity these days. Where it's like, well, God will do it. Or we pray about things that God's already given us responsibility to take hold of. And this is one of those things, we're in this season, it's like we've got to start taking responsibility from stuff. Enough is enough. We need to stop with the compromise. Because we're only compromising ourselves. And God, God's okay to deal with you. You know, like He's, he's okay, He will let you go down the path that you choose to go. If you choose to walk in rebellion, the Father will let you go. The father let the son take the inheritance and squander it. Because freedom's part of love. But we have this idea of, you know, woe is me. And I, then I think about Jesus and what does Jesus say? 
He says, woe to you. So every time we say, woe is me, Jesus says, yeah, woe, woe to you. And I was reminded of the scriptures in uh, Matthew 22, Matthew 23, verse 12. And this is Jesus speaking to the religious people of his day, the Pharisees. And he's confronting the pride, this religious system, this religious framework that they lived under. And he says, whoever exalts himself, verse 12, whoever exalts himself, pride will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So again, in the, in the kingdom of God, humility is not the end. Exaltation is our end. God wants to exalt you. Do you realize that? He wants to raise you up. He wants to position you in the place that he has for you. And that might be in a place of being really well-known or highly influential. But the pathway to exaltation is always humiliation in the kingdom. It was that Jesus had to go through it. And there's things that Jesus went through that you don't have to go through. Humility is not one of those things that he took on your behalf. Because Jesus said, he's like, if you exalt yourself, you're going to be brought, if you put yourself up high, you're going to be brought low. But if you, if you go the low path, he'll, he'll raise you up. This is the paradoxes of the kingdom. It's a great name for a church, you know. But, but, but literally, that's part of the name is to understand that there's a, there's a pathway that we must follow into the kingdom promises of God. That's not the way of the world. So we'll say, I just want to live, God. And it's like, then die. Just just hurry up and die. Because in the kingdom, life comes through death. You don't have resurrection without crucifixion. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But then he says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So hypocrite is an actor, someone who wears a mask that portrays uh, something that isn't true. He says, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's face." faces for neither you enter yourselves nor do you allow those who would enter to go in and i was thinking about this and it's almost like sometimes we find ourselves in that place of judging other people's breakthrough or blessing where we look at that and we go oh well look look at what they're doing or look at what they're pressing into or look at the blessing on their life but it's kind of like we stand back and we won't enter into or we judge spiritual manifestations oh, look at that person rolling around on the floor hmm. Oh my God, that's a bit undignified, or I don't know if that's Holy Spirit. But yet we won't give ourselves over to be a fool for God. It's like we stand back, then we, but we, then we don't allow other people. We don't bless the workings of God. Does that make sense? When we stand in offense, yeah, we make a judgment against somebody, but we're not willing to, to go and do that path, to do that journey. Verse 15, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, so a con convert to Judaism. And when they become one, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And this is sometimes where we, where we want to disciple people into our ways. And again, I'm not putting this on anyone here, but there's that, there can be that thread of this that flows through Christian community, all Christian community. You know where people sometimes, and they draw people to themselves, they don't draw them unto Christ, but they want to draw them on, unto themselves. They want to have their little kind of band of followers, but they're not follow, it's not following me as I follow Jesus. Just come and follow me because it makes me feel good to have people around that agree with me who, or who think I'm really clever or think I'm really smart or, you know, whatever it might be. Smart, clever, same words. You know what I'm saying? I'm clearly not one of those people. 
Verse 16, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by this oath. But he goes on and he's saying, you know, how is the gold better than the temple? He made it whole and all of that sort of stuff. But this is essentially where the scribes and Pharisees, they would come up with these different kind of rules and loopholes and, and religious kind of systems to make things or to lock people into particular ways of acting or behaving or believing bounding them to oaths that weren't godly oaths they weren't godly promises there wasn't freedom in that place so again we see this all through christianity where there's these religious systems that force people into behaving rightly but it's not about believing and then out of believing behaving it's about being forced into these systems and structures and the point of the message is not to go deeply into all these things but i just want to pull out some of this imagery that jesus speaks of Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 23, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And this is sometimes where we put our pride in our spiritual practices. They were like, well, I, I spent an hour in prayer, or I read my Bible this much, or I did this much work, or I served in this many ways, I did all of these things, or I've kept myself pure in this way. And we start to have a pride in our spiritual practices. And yet we neglect some of the deeper realities of that, because as soon as I step into pride, love shuts down, judgment rises up, and then I fail to do the, the deeper and more significant things that God is calling me to do. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside might also be clean. And this is what we spend so much time teaching into, is the heart journey, the focus of getting the inside right the, the scribes and Pharisees, they were so concerned of their outward appearance to others, not to, in terms of how they looked, how beautiful they were, but all of their behavior, all of the things that they did, they were so concerned with what people thought of them that they absolutely disregarded what was the internal reality of their hearts. And Jesus, so many times in the Scriptures, brings us back to this truth, sought out the internal, and the external will naturally flow out of the internal. Focus on the heart. And I know sometimes it's, it's, it's tough and it's hard and it's tiring and it's all of that sort of stuff. And, and I know um, I say this not picking on anybody because I have heard this so many times. So you may have said it to me this week, but I'm just telling you, I'm not poking at you and saying, well, somebody said this to me. I've heard this so many times. But when we talk about the heart journey, it's kind of like, oh, the heart journey. Like, man, I just need a break from the heart journey. Really? I'm just so over the heart journey. And I, I, like I hear it, I was like, man, it's tough. <laughs> um, but I just want to point out that, because when I hear that, I'm like, what, what does that mean? Now, I don't, I don't diminish that we have feelings and it's hard and it's, it's a journey and all that sort of stuff. But essentially what we're saying is, I'm just so over following Jesus. I'm just, I am just sick and tired of the pursuit of righteousness. Man, you know what? I'm just exhausted from being a disciple of Jesus. The heart journey isn't some like, oh, look at what Paradox has come up with. Or look at what these churches, like it's, it's just a new language on discipleship 
but it's not discipleship. Maybe that is what, what is being done before, which is external adherence to behavioral norms, behavior modification. It's saying, no, no, we want to do it the way that Jesus did it, which was to clean the inside of the cup, to clean the inside of the plate, and then to have the expectation that the natural overflow of that is that the outside will become clean, that your life, your motivations, everything will naturally flow out of that. You'll do the things of Jesus because the internal has become right. So if you're thinking like, oh, I'm just so over the heart journey, just understand kind of what you're saying. And if you, if you don't, maybe just don't use that language then. Call it what it is, saying, I am sick and tired of following you, Jesus, because I'm sick and tired of taking responsibility for all of the things that I'm responsible for in my life. I'm sick of being responsible. Why can't you be responsible for my sin, God? Well, the answer is he was. And he's broken the power of it. But he wants you to be a mature son. He wants you to be a mature daughter. And maturity comes as we start to take responsibility. Yeah? Does anybody here, as an adult, get their mum or their dad to wipe their backside? That's one you don't want to admit. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Well, well, depends on what the outcome of the question is, Brad. Um, well, you don't because you start to learn to be responsible for yourself as you grow and as you mature. And this is what it is. When we, when we focus in on our heart, we say, I'm going to take responsibility for all the sinful responses that I've made in life. I'm, t- I'm taking responsibility for that. And sometimes we find ourselves tired in the journey because we're in the game, but we're not engaged in the game. We're out on the field, but we're just kind of standing there. Well, I'm doing the hard journey. It's like, are you engaging? I was sharing with Amy the other day. It's like being, you know, if you were playing tennis and you're standing on the court and you're standing there and then, the heck, man? You just hit me with a ball. And then, hey, dudes, what are you hitting balls at me for? And you start getting, it's like painful. Like, what's going on? I'm getting picked on here. This guy on the other end of the court keeps hitting balls at me, and they're hitting me, and it's hurting. I don't like it. So you know what you need to do? You need to get in the game, start engaging, step back and swing your racket. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is fun because I'm engaged in the process. It's a whole lot less painful. You might get hit by a few wayward balls, but you're going to engage in the process. You're going to hit back and... Yeah, something's going to start to shift. You're going to start to enjoy yourself. I love the heart journey. Because for me, every step, every time I repent, there's more freedom for me. Every, I do prayer ministry. I, I have three-hour prayer ministry, four-hour prayer ministry sessions sometimes if it's needed. Sorry? Yes, for me. Yes, my, my personal stuff. And I'm like, uh, the last one I went to, I'm like, I don't know, there were some things, I don't really know, but I'm just here to put myself before God and I have to repent and I have to take responsibility for my sin. I have to do all of that sort of stuff. And I'm like, but uh, there's more for me on the other side. Repentance can kind of feel like, oh, so as I should repent. It's like, oh my goodness, God has just revealed an area in my life that I get to repent of, which means I'm going to come out of agreement with a lie and I'm going to come into agreement with a truth. And I know that the truth will set me free Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for convicting my heart of sin. Because if you hadn't done that, Lord, and look, it was painful, it was shameful, but it's freedom on the other side. 
I'll endure that, Lord. I'll endure the cross for the joy set before me. That means I'll endure the death process of recognizing my sin, taking responsibility for it, repenting of it, dealing with all of the fruit of that, and then coming out the other side, resurrected self. You want to walk in the power of resurrection, you've got to engage with the process of death. You've got to engage in the process of crucifixion. And it's not his, Paul says, I am making, in Colossians, I am making up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the church. Now that is a profound, mysterious statement. But Paul's like, I'm happy to take the pain because there's a fruit on the other side that's going to be a blessing, not just to me, but to other people. The heart journey is simply discipleship to Jesus. You can't become like Jesus unless your heart is transformed, which requires it being engaged in the process. Now, again, I know as, as we journey with people, that some people are like, I don't even know my heart. So for some of that's the first step on the process. It's like, I have a heart? Tell me more. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> tell me of these wise ways. God does have a heart, and he wants to connect with our heart, heart to heart. That's, his, that's, the, that's the whole journey. He wants us to be made in his likeness, to come into the fullness of that, not the distorted version that we currently live in, but the full version, which is the exact imprint of his nature. That's what Jesus was. Jesus was the exact imprint of his nature. Guess who you are? You're a disciple of Jesus, which means your whole, the whole intent of your life is moving towards being more like Jesus. You know, we, 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 we get language from the Bible and then we just kind of Christianize it and modernize it for our own day. And we thought, oh, discipleship equals that. Now we need to go back and say, what did discipleship mean to a disciple? They understood when you were called to be a disciple, your whole life ceased. All of your plans and dreams and goals in life stopped. And you said, this guy here, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I'm going to devote every ounce of my energy to becoming exactly like him that was discipleship for a young jewish man so that language that jesus chose that carries into today it's the same for us but it requires our heart to be engaged but when we find ourselves in this place of self-pity when we when we step back and we're almost like and we step into pride if there's that root of pride there then sometimes it can and we, we just feel like giving up Anyone feel like giving up at times? Yeah, three of us, awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? It just gets, it gets hard, but it's good. Start hitting some balls back. So in coming out of this dream, out of this stuff, we feel like there's still a, a, a system, and, and even the ecosystem, part of me wanting to speak about it this morning is to say, we're not going to tolerate this. For your sake, because we love you, we're not going to tolerate it. It, it, can't con- it can't continue. We're not going to compromise to make you comfortable. We're just not going to do that. Uh, someone else might, and, and, and bless them, another church might, but I'm just saying, us, we, we're not, we're not going to be a compromised church. Like, I want to make a commitment to that. We're just not going to be that. I prophesy that. We're not going to be that. Because there's, 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 there's a lot. <laughs> there is a bucket load of compromise in the church today across the world. Like I hear stories and it horrifies me. I'm like, man, can we just be different? 
let's just be like radical because we don't compromise to the ways of the world, to sin, to the desire for fame or significance or any of those sorts of things. And I love it because I don't want to be famous. I don't care. I don't care if we're well-known. I feel like I feel like we've got precious jewels to give away to the body of Christ that we can be a blessing. That's my heart. But I mean, when we chatted with Jennifer Evers and I'm like, I'm like Jennifer said, if we're, because she's like, man, this is big, like something big, significant, you know, movement and all of this sort of stuff. And I'm like, well, I said, Jen, if we're going to become famous, somebody else is going to have to make us famous. Because I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to make anything happen. But if the Father wants to take us and, and put us on a platform and give us significance, then Lord, we'll do it, but prepare us, God. His heart, this is the love of God will convict you of sin. It's His kindness that leads you to repentance. The way that He does it doesn't change the outcome. It could be His harshness that leads you to repentance. It's still, the outcome is going to be repentance, which is good for you. But it's not, He's so kind in that. But when we have that warning, and it's like, so if there's sin in your life, please experience the kindness of God. He's saying, I want you free. God wants you free from the sin in your life. He wants you free from the things that bind you. And He's dealt with the shame. Now, again, you might have a structure of shame and you need prayer ministry to deal with that structure. Otherwise, you'll interpret everything in your life through a structure of shame. So it's very difficult. We're not ignoring all of the process that God does to free us in our heart. But it's time that we deal with some of these things. And so this morning, I just want us just to have a bit of time to dwell. I'm going to put some worship music on and we're just going to allow the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts. And then we're going to repent. And we're going to let, if there's demons, we're going to let them manifest so we can identify them and kick them out. So this could get messy. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe nothing will happen because you're all perfect and pure and there's nothing for you to repent of. I'm totally okay with that as well. But some things that I just want to focus on and and you can just bring before the Lord is is this whole thing of self-pity and the pride of self-pity. The pride because it's self, self self-focused, self-righteous. Uh, pride in our, this, this whole pharisaical thing, this pride in our outward appearance. Now, that might be in your physical appearance. It might just be how you're perceived by other people, either in your spirituality or maybe your work ethic, that there's something in your life where you present yourself and you'll find your acceptance in people's receival of what you present to them. Proverbs sixteen eighteen said, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we really feel like what God has brought in these dreams is is a prophetic warning just to say, as promotion comes, if pride exists, then a fall is going to come for some people. And it's not God's heart for you to fall. It's God's heart for you to rise. We also want to deal with um, and just pray into uh, this whole thing of denial. Where sometimes for some of us, we just ignore the fact that there's stuff in our life. Or maybe someone points it out and we go, oh yeah, you know. Sometimes in conversation with people are like, oh, sorry, that was just a little bit of pride. <laughs> really? So what are you going to do about that? Like, oh, it's just there. I like it's just, it just pops up sometimes, and, but it goes back into its burrow. Yeah, dig that sucker out and hit it with a shovel. Like, do something, you know? Like, I'll be just like, oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, get a bit controlling sometimes, you know? Um, really? What are you going to do about that? <laughs> like, like that's, that's, that's controlled. Like, you mean like a spirit of witchcraft? 
Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, nice. Oh, you got some denial going on. Oh, you mean like a like a so that like you're inviting in a spirit of deception? Yeah, cool. All right. This is what we're talking about here. This is the realness of the battle that we that we engage with in the everyday. Oh, you got oh, it's got a bit of offense. I just get offended sometimes. Yeah, cool. That's called an open door to a spirit of offense. Like a dem- you're inviting demonic influence into your life. I didn't play with a Ouija board, Brad, you know. I just got a bit offended with that person. God's he's purifying his church. He's purifying the world. He's, he's purifying Hollywood. He's purifying the body of Christ. He's doing a work of purity across the nations. He's preparing people. But let's, I, I reckon we should maybe not let Hollywood get before us in the pursuit of righteousness, Yeah. Hypocrisy, these are some of the things that come out of those scriptures, dealing with judgment, offense, offendability, self-righteousness, religiosity, spiritual pride, denial and deception. He goes on as well and talks about some things where people dismiss the prophetic or diminishing the role of the Holy Spirit. I'm really not angry or upset. But I'm, I'm really passionate. I just feel like God is on this. Like this is literally dreams during the week. And it's like, we need to shift and we just need to stop for a bit and go, okay, Lord, if you're speaking, we want to hear what you're saying. And we just want to go and, and you might, you might, it might be stuff and you're just going, oh man, I don't want to share that with someone. Do I have to deal with that now? Yes. Just do it. Or you're like, you know what, but that, 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 that sin has kind of been a comfort for me. What's going to happen if I let go? Are you going to make room for the comforter to come? And you're going to have to endure the pain. You know, when we live with so many false refuges in our life, we actually lose the ability to endure pain. So we never endure the cross. So we never get to the resurrection life. And we keep living in this place, crying out for God, bring that life, Lord. I want more life. And he's like, then you've got to, you have to endure the cross, which means there's endurance in that process. But if we have surrounded by the immediacy of things that quell the pain in our heart, then we never grow the endurance to endure the pain to come out the other side into that resurrection life. Is that okay? All right. Wait, yes. It is hard, I think, because we do life on life with so many people too, to hear this sort of confrontational language and not feel it's personal. So I, I do want to back up what Brad's saying. It's not aimed at someone when we're using phrases we've heard. We've heard it all, and we've said it all in our journey. Um, um, when I thought about misery, misery loves company, you, you find a way to excuse the reality that you're in and instead of pursuing repentance. And... Um, so it might be that you've repented for a lot of things, but that one thing you don't want to, it's sort of like, well, come on, you've seen how much I've done, just let me have this one. There's something in it. The other thing, and I, and I say it with love, and I can combat this sometimes for me, is it's when you can't handle the environment here. When you can't handle the ecosystem here, it's because the ecosystem can't handle what you're carrying. There's something in you that doesn't want the purity here. I say that lovingly, not you're the problem. I'm saying it should be, ooh, I've partnered with something. I've partnered with misery, and it doesn't want to come into pure water. Yeah? I, I, I've had Sundays I don't want to be here, but I need you to check that. If, if it's easier to do the, 
something where you're away or something where you'll miss, but you won't fight to be here, something's, something's up. And I'm saying that lovingly. Something's up if you won't fight what's, in your s- what's going on in you to, to be in the place that's pure, something's up. Not attend the service. Don't hear that. Be in the place that's pure. Hear that. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's something up. It's been familiar, and we've seen it as familiar, and we've had compassion. And since this dream, I've gone, actually, that's off. Something's off there, and it should be a light in your system. Like, oh, yay, I've spotted it. Cool, I'm going to repent for that. Not a, you've been an idiot all this time. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is that okay? There's misery has given permission to behavior that has given, that compassion has continued. And there's a place where compassion, I think, has to stop. And we've got to go, that's misery. It's come into agreement with pride. It's feeding it. And it's the door we've said is okay because we have compassion for you. The compassion has to stop in, in the sense of agreement. We, the compassion is there in the sense that we get that it's been a hard journey, but it needs to stop, and we need to start not feeding that crop anymore. Is that okay? Yeah. Just a reminder of the, the woman at the well. Um, the woman at the well, you know, Jesus, he, he meets her in this place. He exposes all of her sin, and he doesn't judge her for it. But in that revelation that he brings, his response then to her is, now go and sin no more. Oh, oh what do you mean, Jesus? I just encountered the, the Lord of Lords and he didn't judge me for my sin. And he's like, no, but go and keep walking in it. Um, since I featured in the dream, it's actually quite interesting because it's the one thing I've been when I say concern, I don't mean con- that I have a major concern here. In fact, I've said to Rachel and Amy a couple of times, because I can see that there is going to be growth, there is going to be fame. Um, and I've said to them, I am in- I'm enjoying this journey because I want to see how you navigate this thing. Because I've seen a lot over the years, big church, small church. I've seen smoke, you know, and performance. And most of you have come from some of that stuff. Um, and I'm pretty sure there's not never going to be smoke going up the back here and things like that, unless it's God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but this may be a question that quite a few of you have got, is how are you going to navigate this thing of growth? And I, all I'm doing is I'm just praying into it because I want to see how it happens too. It's now, I just want to give you a picture of, the, of, of a crocodile in a, a pond or a lake or whatever, it's always submerged. And you can walk along the side of it not knowing it's there. Okay, so some of the pride issues are actually hidden or submerged, and only at a moment they very quickly come out and then attack you or so on. So I just wanted to add that in as well. So um, just from a person who's been on the road for a long time, I'm very, very happy to be here. I love being here. I'm enjoying the journey. I'm right 100% behind you, by the way. And I want to see how it happens. And I'm going to be one of those, not inspecting how it's going to happen, but behind it and just see how it happens. But I'm glad they're dealing with this stuff because this is where it goes wrong. Okay, submerged pride, whatever you like to call it. Okay. Amen. Yep. Yeah, it's certainly something um, that, um, yeah, in our conversation with Jennifer Evas, and she, you know, she's, um, she's fully knitted into what we're doing. Her heart is being just being captured here and she feels a real heart to want to invest in whatever way 
God opens that up. But that's been her thing. It's just like, I'm concerned for you guys because I've been part of, of significant moves of God and, and I've seen it go bad. And so, but I'm, so I'm like, well, then keep telling us, keep pointing out because, um, yeah. So just to clarify again, so the fruit seems to be pride and we need to get on top of that. But something that seems to be feeding that pride, the ecosystem, is this misery. And um, so I just want to just mention and redefine what self-pity is and what a victim mentality is in case it's something in us that we need to repent of. I've, I've done both and for long periods of time. And people have been very gracious with me. But um, so I want to be very careful with my language here and not offend. That's my heart. But I just want to um, use a word that's involved in sexual sin and that's masturbation and when I did some a conference with um, the people from Elijah House in America they were to help us understand the extremity of self-pity it's emotional masturbation it's because we've believed at some stage we won't be comforted by others emotionally so our false refuge in situations is to comfort ourselves emotionally so I'm not talking about the, f the physical, but some of us maybe not in sexual sin and blah, 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 but emotionally it's also it's an exactly the same. It's a false refuge. We turn to ourselves in self-pity to bring an, an appease to the pain. And so it is, it's a false refuge. It's, it's sin. And so we're not accessing the Lord's comfort. And to be quite honest, sometimes the Lord doesn't want to pour in his comfort when we're in pain. Listen to me. Sometimes he doesn't want to pour in his comfort. He wants to get us out of it. You know, he, otherwise it's just pouring into where we're sitting. He's like, no, feel, feel the burn and let's walk. Let's get out. He, so sometimes it's, you're, you're hurting because you're in, in strongholds or wrong patterns of thinking. So it's really serious that we ask the Lord, do I, am I sitting in self-pity as a false refuge and as a coping mechanism in my sanctification journey? So heart journey is the sanctification journey. It belongs to any Christian, not Paradox Church. So that's when we have this time with the Lord and we put on the music. Am I using self-pity as a false refuge instead of taking responsibility for my life, letting him do the work of sanctification and coming through? So that's self-pity, false refuge, it's sin. And I just want to talk of a victim mentality, also biblical concepts. Danny Silk talks about it a lot. I'm going to just use some of the words he's used. It's when we don't believe that we are a powerful person, able to, able to um, manage our world. And it's when we believe that we are a victim of our situation. And if we've come into a victim mentality, some of us it's because we were a victim of something at some stage. So someone victimized us. Some of us might have been maybe sexually abused. That's a huge one that teaches us we're a victim, but we're not. It's not a kingdom truth that any of us are a victim. None of us are a victim. It's not who we are. But if we've been a victim of something, that's, that's a truth. But it doesn't make us a victim. But for some of us, if we've been a victim of something, even just hard times, including the wilderness, which is a Christian thing to go through, the, the dark night of the soul, the sanctification journey where we really dig deep taproots in the desert of who we believe he is and who we believe we are. That gets built in the lack sometimes. But if we have come into agreement with the lie that we are a victim, 
then we enter into a victim mentality and we don't realize that actually for a lot of us, the situation we find ourselves in in our life is because of a lot of little choices on our end. It's not because we're so hard done by. If there's broken things in our relationships or there's loneliness or a lot of the fruit in our life actually has to do with little choices we've made along the way. But if we believe we are a victim of life, of hardship, of something, we're underneath a stronghold. It's a stronghold to think we're a victim. And so if we, c- if we have a victim mentality, which is a stronghold of thought, then that opens the door to a victim spirit. And then we get locked in that place. And it's, that's woe is me. That's misery. We enter into the fruit of misery through the doorway of a victim mentality. It's a stronghold. It's a way of thinking that I'm powerless. If we believe we're powerless in our world, in our situation, in our lives, with addictions, with people we deal with, with work, with having any form of breakthrough, if we believe we're powerless, that's a stronghold. It's not the truth. You are a powerful person. You're a powerful person. That's the only kingdom truth over our lives. We here are all powerful people with a will and with the ability to to go through with the Lord's grace. But self-pity, victim mentality is feeding this ecosystem. So when Brad said earlier, I don't even feel that we are a church that has a lot of fives. I would say the same. If anyone asked, you know, any weak areas in a corporateness, do you feel like your church has a lot of pride? I, I just wouldn't say yes. I think there's a huge amount of humility here in this room. But, and I think I also have a little bit of an open door because I, I do sit with a bunch of people in conversations or prayer ministry. If someone were to ask me, do you think you're part of a community that has a weakness towards self-pity and victim mentality and woe is me and misery and passivity and this is so hard, I'd go, yes, we've got a problem. I think we've got a problem. So I think that's the dream. I think we've got a problem. There's a lot of self-pity, I feel, and I've done it too. I feel I've only just come out of it actually in the last couple of years. I think we have a problem. There's a lot of self-pity as an emotional masturbation, and it's we need to come out of that. We need the comforter. We need to know we're powerful. We are not victims. We're victorious. And he has made us victorious and he's done it on the cross and we can get out of this and we can move forward and we can get out of addictions and we can get out of brokenness and we can just get up and move. But there's a tendency in the worship or in prayer, just mm, forlorn look on faces is common here, males and females. And I I think it's a safe place to talk about it because I'm just concerned that if we go into the bigness that, you know, we're going to crack there's some strongholds if we're forlorn. And I just wanted to share that. Amen. <coughs> so again, part of this thing, the ecosystem thing, I think as well, is because we make space for hearts here and we don't put expectation, well, sort it out, get it you know, done. And so in making space, um, it's, it's right to, for the heart to have space. We also need grace. Space without grace causes you to stay in that place. Um, but possibly that's something that maybe even we've missed as we've journeyed as a community as we've grown we haven't seen the fact that oh yeah like and we will continue to make space for people's hearts because you have to you have to create a safe environment you have to be able to be messy and just to be like this is all my junk you know that's really really good and really healthy but it's when you stay there 
or when you enter in and come into agreement with that, uh, like a, a victim mentality, um, and you don't realize, oh, but there's grace for me. Like right now, right in this moment, in the, in the pit of my despair, there's grace for me to come out of that place or to be met by the Lord in that place so that I don't stay in that place. Um, and so we want to, uh, again, and deal with that and, and, and make sure that that culture is, uh, continues to be part of our, or becomes part of our community, that we don't allow you to stay um, in the wrong kind of place for too long. Are you able to lead us in, in prayer?